Good morning. Um, just as we settle down, we're just going to start with a little um, video. Hope you enjoy it. Sixty-six teams from 30 different countries have descended on Fiji. I have no clue what to be afraid of. I'm about to find out. To compete in the world's toughest race. The horse is relentless, so every step is a victory. We came here to show the world who we are. To make sure that those people who feel underrepresented feel that they have a voice. I am a tough chick. And I'm proud of that. I was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. To do this race with my dad is a priceless experience. <laughs> we wanted to prove that the girls in India are strong and they can achieve anything. This is not a normal adventure race. 671 kilometers, mountains. I don't mind climbing, I mind dying. Jungles. I need help. Rivers. Ocean. Four hours of sleep in four days. And it is brutal. It's so hard. It's the first event to race that we have the feeling of arriving to a limit. We can handle anything that comes. Because we're in it together. This is the closest we ever get to being superheroes. But that's still going. It's a real testament to grit. As a church, <laughs> I would love to, um, but uh, I think it looks epic. And I've watched the series, and it's quite old now. Um, it's certainly worth a watch. I don't know if anyone's actually watched it. It really is good. However, I'm not, even though I like to race and things, I'm not quite sure I want to take part. And if I was, I'm not quite sure there's any of you I'd like to be on my team, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe one or two. So, uh, however, this morning I do want to talk about the idea of a race, the, the Christian race. The Apostle Paul, one of the key, work, uh, key workers, key writers of the New Testament, he likes to speak about the Christian life in terms of a, race, of a race. And he does it an awful lot. An example is in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. All athletes practice strict self-control. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. We do it for an eternal prize. And you know, in the world's toughest race there, there are checkpoints where they check in. And they review how they're getting on. They check the map. They get provisions. They get medical help. And they see if they really want to go on. And this morning, I wanted us to use our first Sunday of 2023, our first church service of 2023, like a checkpoint in this amazing race. 
Maybe you've not seen that series, but you maybe have seen a race, like a, a running event, a London Marathon, maybe something in the Olympics, and you, you see the runners on the track and you get a, a picture of an athlete and there's a close-up of the runner's face. And you see the kind of sweat and intensity on their face. You see their kind of flared nostrils as they're pushing for the line. The grimace as they're pushing themselves harder and harder, trying to win. I want us to try and hold that picture in our minds. Try and imagine what their bodies are going through as they press on. For in the race, our bodies begin to overheat. And as we overheat, our sweat glands release a liquid to cool us down. And then our bodies start to run low on sugar, which is the fuel for our muscles. So a hormone or something is given off from the pancreas, telling the liver to release stored sugar into our bloodstream. At that point, if we're still carrying on, the legs and the heart needs more blood flow. We need more oxygen. So the the brain sends a signal to our heart to beat faster and faster so our legs and our heart can keep on going. And as that happens, the blood flow to some of our organs is uh, redistributed and the body kind of takes a different shape and does different things. We start to deep breathe at this point and we try and suck in as much air as we can to help us keep running the race. And what this body, our body is going through is a kind of intensity, the kind of dedication, the kind of drive that is needed to win the race, to win the prize. And that's the kind of thought in the verses I want us to look at. In Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at chapter 3 verses 12 through to 16. And Paul is using the same metaphor, if we want, to run the race. Verse 12, it says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently... That too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. And what I want us to do in the next few minutes is just try and unpack what Paul is saying. To look at maybe things that will help us run the race. Three essential things I would think. And the first essential is we have to run with our dissatisfaction. A healthy, holy dissatisfaction. Now, uh, in the holidays, Claire, uh, Livy and I and Balula the dog went to Scotland for a few days. And when I was there, I was chatting to a really good friend. And when we were chatting, he was saying he's this kind of 
ticking along in life. He's ticking along in his job. He's ticking along in his marriage. He's ticking along in his faith. And he said it's all become just a bit functional. And we only had about 45 minutes together. And we see each other like three times a year. And we just went straight in. Is this acceptable? Is just living a functional life where we just tick it off what we want? Where we're just kind of satisfied with what we've got? Do we say to ourselves, you know, I've done enough now. Now I'm on cruise control. I can just live in the status quo. And we weren't talking about our wealth. We were talking really about the deep things that matter in our life. Our faith. Our marriages. Our relationship with Jesus. And the more I've thought about that conversation, the more I really want to say no. We should be saying, by the grace of God, I'm going to go higher. I'm going to go further. We should be saying, Jesus, I'm not happy. I'm dissatisfied with what I had last year. Because I want a deeper, a better relationship with you. I'm not satisfied with what we've got. You know, we sing that song, set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, Lord. I want more of you. But do we? Or are we just satisfied? And the Apostle Paul who wrote these words, he could have just clicked cruise control. But notice what it says, verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this or have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of. And so if anybody could have said they had arrived, it would be the Apostle Paul. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. If anybody could rest on their laurels and be self-satisfied and say, I've attained it, I've made it, I've reached the point, it would be Paul. But he says, I haven't done that. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. In fact, if we go back to verse 4 of chapter 3, we see that Paul, he kind of goes through a list of all the things he's achieved, his past accomplishments. And he says, all of that I've pushed aside as nothing that I might win the prize. This is what he says. He says in verse 4, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight years old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. He says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. He says, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted, persecuted? persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law. Without fault. If there's anybody who could have said. God I've arrived. 
it would be Paul. But he wasn't satisfied. He wanted more. It wasn't a case of Paul was seeing the finish line and he put his hands out going, yep, I've won. I can't imagine anyone ever doing that. Watch this clip of this cyclist. Sharply to the left, that impeded Hershey, who had to unclip from his pedal, and Pogaccia, allowing Alaphilippe to sail to the victory and raise his arms in celebration. Only he hadn't won. Uh, Alaphilippe had made the have become complacent. But at the beginning of the year, let's not settle with what we had. More of you, Lord. More of you. A fire I can't control. A fire I can't contain. More of you, Lord. So number one essential is dissatisfaction. The second essential in running the race is concentration. We have to concentrate on what we're doing. Verse 13, it says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but, it's this little phrase, but one thing I do. The Phillips translation puts it, there's just one thing that I'm going to concentrate on, one thing I'm going to do. This little phrase, one thing. And I'm sure you've heard me go on about the one thing before. But just as a reminder, some examples. A rich young ruler came up to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. And he rattled off a few of them. And the rich young ruler said, all of these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus turned to him and said, one thing you lack. And Jesus kind of nailed it. The very thing in his life that the man didn't concentrate on. That he should have narrowed down the one thing. Mary and Martha. When Martha was critical of her sister who sat at the feet of Jesus. Martha was doing all the work and Mary was sitting around enjoying Jesus' company and fellowship with him. And she complains to the Lord. And Jesus says back to her, back to her Martha. You're worried about many things, but only one thing is needed. Narrow it down, Martha. Think of that one thing. David, King David in Psalm 27. One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek after You know, I've been playing a bit of chess in the holidays and the thing I've really noticed is the better my concentration, the better chance I have at winning. I was having a game with uh, Jacob Norwich on New Year's Eve and we were living a, right, a real party life on New Year's Eve playing chess. It was amazing. Um, and I thought I was winning. I really was winning. And then someone not saying who, uh, my wife, but uh, she's decided that this was a really good opportune time to start talking and start chatting. And you shouldn't do that when you're playing chess. And because it's my wife, I listened. 
and I concentrated on what she was saying. And my concentration went, and I lost my queen very quickly. Of course, it was nothing to do with Jacob being better at me, of course not. But my focus was taken off the one thing I was doing. And I lost. And when we run the race, we need to narrow our focus down. We need to concentrate. And that's essential in our spiritual growth. Maybe when this year goes on and on and on, we need to learn one word. The word no. We need to learn to say no. No to that extra bit of work that we're offered. No to the extra money. No to the promotion. No to going out more and doing our hobby more. No to the thing that will keep us from God. The thing that will keep us from small group. The thing that will keep us from church. No. Because it's a distraction. And the word no is as holy as the word yes. Because sometimes we do too many things and we spread ourselves so thin that we kill off our effectiveness in the one thing. Because we need to remember to keep the one thing the main thing. Or the main thing the main thing. Or the main thing the one thing. Or the... Yes, you got it. I love this story of Billy Graham. Billy Graham is surely one of the most influential Christian leaders, preachers of the last hundred years. And it's believed that at least 22 different cities in America, at different times in his career, offered him money and land to start a Christian university where he could train up young people for Christian work and service. And every time he was offered, he turned it down. And he said, I believe it would be a great distraction. Yes, I could do it. But that's not what God has asked me, called me to do. For he's called me to do this one thing. So as we run the race, we need to learn to focus and concentrate and say no to the things that will distract us and say yes to the things that God has called us to. So we have two essentials, dissatisfaction, concentration, and here's the third, determination. I want you to notice a word that is repeated in both verse 12 and 14. It says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And this is quite important. Twice he's using the word press. I press on. And it's actually the same word that we've already looked at. The same Greek word that it was used back in verse 6. Where he says concerning zeal. Persecuting the church. And this word persecuting is the same word as press on. It's the Greek word 
Dioke, I think it is how you pronounce it, Dioke. And what Paul is saying is the same amount of energy I used to put into ruining the church, the same amount of energy I used to put into persecuting the church is the same amount of energy I now put into running the race. The same energy that I had as an unbeliever, the same energy I had to stomp out Jesus and his followers, I now use, by God's grace, the same effort to press on in the race that's set before me. And it made me think, I wonder what would happen if this year I put in as much effort, as much determination into my spiritual life as I do into other areas of my life. Into my social media habits. I was thinking about this and I thought, I wonder if later on we could all do this. We get our phones and we go onto the settings and we look at how much time we spend in a day on our social media. And then we compare it with how much time we spend with Jesus. Kind of frightening, to be honest. Imagine that for every minute I spend on social media, I spent the equivalent on my soul. Imagine what my life would be like. Imagine I spent the equivalent amount of time on my soul as I do on all my hobbies, on my sport, on my box set, or on all the other things I like to do. Imagine if I put as much concentrated, determined energy and time into that this year. What would my spiritual life be like? To run the race with determination. To press on. You know, in the movie, Chariots of Fire, which is just, I know it's old now, but it's still an incredible movie. One of the heroes uh, portrayed as Harold Abrams. And he won the 100-meter gold medal at the 1924 Olympics. And the film shows his first ever defeat on the track. And after he's defeated, he's in the stand and he's really upset and sulking. And his girlfriend comes over and she tries to encourage him. And he gets really grumpy and annoyed and says, If I can't win, I won't run. And she retorts, but if you don't run, you can't win. And it's really good wisdom. We don't quit the race because we can't win. We keep running. We keep going because if we don't run, we don't take part, we can't win. So we need to stay at it. We need to keep on pressing on with determination. So here's the question. Are you pressing on? 
Are you pressing? Will that word characterize you? Is there any effort in your spiritual life at all that you would class as pressing on? That I'm not only concentrating at it, but I'm determined to press on. Maybe the, the worship team could come back up. I don't exactly know what a country it is, but I think it's Switzerland. And there's a gravestone at the bottom of one of the Alpine climbs. And it's where a climber died. And on the gravestone is his name, his date of birth, his date of death. And there's a simple three-word inscription. It says, he died climbing. And I read that and I thought, what a great thing to say of a mountain climber. It didn't say he died watching television. He didn't die watching others do stuff. He died climbing in the very pursuit that was his life. Wouldn't that be great for us to have that we died climbing? We died going onward and upward. The year is 1968. The event again is the Olympics. The place is Mexico City. And in this event, there is the marathon. And all the runners had crossed the finish line. And all the events had finished and people had begun to leave the stadium. But then there is a siren. And the, the gate of the stadium opens again. And everyone who's actually left look at the gate and they see this one man running forward. And it's clear, I think there's a picture. It's clear from the picture that he had obviously fallen. His knee is bloodied and bandaged. It says that he'd actually dislocated his shoulder. And his name is John Philip Akawari. And he's a runner from Tanzania. And this is the Olympic marathon. And the winner won in something like two hours 20. And he's now on about three and a half hours. And the event is actually finished. But he keeps on going. And as he hobbles to the finish line, the people who are left, they stand up. And they applaud him and they cheer him. As though he has won the race. Even though... He's in last place. And when he finished the race, somebody asked him, why did you keep going? You fell. You were injured. You were disqualified. There's no way you were going to win. Why didn't you just quit? And he said, my country didn't send me 5,000 miles to begin a race, but to end it, to finish it. And I finished it. And God put us on earth not just to start the Christian journey. 
but to finish it, to run the race to the end. Are you pressing on this year? Are you determined to press on and not be satisfied with what you had? Let's pray together and then Matt will lead us in some worship, some more worship. Father, I think about my last year and I think about the progress, hopefully, that I made. I think about the failures that I've certainly taken part in. And Lord, I want more of you. Lord, I look forward to the victories and the joys of this coming year. Father, help us to focus on what you have for us. Help us to focus on the things we should say yes to. But also on all the things we should say no to. Because they distract us. They prevent us from concentrating on the one thing. On you. On more of you. Set a fire down in our souls. A fire we can't contain, a fire we can't control. More of you, Lord. More of you. More of you. Holy Spirit, we want more of you. Spirit, come. We had some great times last year. I hope you weren't satisfied though. I hope you wanted more. Times when we felt we were in his presence. But there's more. Holy Spirit. Show us there's more. Make us hungry for more. Just before we sing, maybe it'd be good if we all stood for just a second. It can be helpful to put your hands out, put your hands up or do something. More of you. We're not Oliver Twist begging with our begging bowl. He is waiting to pour out all of heaven for us. More of you, Lord. What an exciting year we have. We will have a, a new pastoral team at some point. More of you. How exciting is that? More of you. But we're not relying on a new team to bring us more.
We're not relying on the preaching or the worship. We're relying on your spirit and by your grace. We want more of you. Do we? Actually, do we? Sorry, I'm speaking for myself. Just before we sing, just start calling out to the Lord. In English, in Spanish, Portuguese, in Hebrew, Greek, Latin, whatever you want. Pray in tongues. More of you. Just call out to the Lord. We want more of you. More of you. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come.